This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Now, an annual exhibition that I'm always delighted to find out about and uh, always happy to encourage people to visit is Linden New Arts Annual Postcard Show, now in its 27th iteration at Linden in St Kilda. Uh, if you've not been before, just down the road from Theatre Works at 26 Ackland Street, or alternatively if you need a different landmark up the road from the Golden Arches, easy to find. Um, joining us in the studio to talk to us about the 27th annual postcard show, Linden New Arts Director, Melinda Martin, and one of the exhibiting artists, Michael Kluke. Welcome to you both. Thank you Thank for having you. us. Very great pleasure. So, uh, Melinda, we'll start with you. Why have a postcard show? Because postcards are pretty small. Well, it's one of those interesting things. As I understand it, according to Urban Myth, um, back in the day, so 27 years ago, one of the things that happened, I guess, within the St Kilda community was there were a lot of post-World War II migrants who had come to live in Australia. Some of them had had great artistic careers back in their homelands, had come to Australia, of course, and had to change their lives and often worked in very different jobs. And it was a way of including them in the gallery's exhibition program by encouraging them to create small artworks. So the tradition has continued. Um, The only rule in the show is that it must be 8 by 10 inches. Or 20 centimetres by yes. 26 centimetres in... Uh, <laughs> in the in real language, yes. Don't worry, I still think in feet and <laughs> inches. I'm, I'm of that age. If somebody asks me what my height is, I automatically go, um, 5 foot 10, and then children look puzzled. Uh, <laughs> Michael, uh, can I, let's talk about uh, creating work at that scale. You've got three works in the current postcard show. Yep, that's right. Um, is it a challenge, uh, can I, or... Uh, uh, is it actually, is there something delightful about having to work at that scale and to, to that format? Um, well, my work's photographic, so um, it's really just about scaling it up or down to, to the size that would fit the criteria for entry. But um, there is a certain thing about small works, they become more intimate. So having the, the size smaller then also makes people actually want to look at the work in a more detailed way. And it would also presumably restrict the kind of photograph you can take to a degree because something with an enormous amount of detail isn't necessarily going to be an effective image when it's kind of scaled down to that yeah, size. Yeah, that's right. That's right, yeah. Um, I guess in some ways you're looking to, to photograph things or, or present things that are not so detailed in a way. Um, a lot of the works I've entered into the uh, postcard show have been works from projects that I've actually worked on and not actually... Um, developed or, or worked on for the postcard show itself so so the works that you've entered there's a, a uh, some twilight streetscapes for example an image of uh some some very st kilda images there as well yeah so I, I take it you're a local yeah i am a local and and that's that's one of the reasons why i like to support the um the linden and the postcard show each year um i think also um entering works that uh, represent St Kilda kind of uh, resonate within the local community and so that's kind of nice to actually have works that somehow um, represent my part of the world but also Lyndon's part of the world too so when people come to the gallery or or people local people can actually identify with the works that are that are actually in in the show 
in terms of the number of works that are submitted, Melinda, I know that the gallery exhibits hundreds uh, for the postcard show, but are there thousands that are submitted that you have to then sort down? Or? No, literally we um, will present every work that we receive. So you can be a hobby artist, you can be a kid, you can be a professional, really senior artist. So we have, I guess, a really democratic approach. I guess the only thing that we would never show is anything that we would, you know, be de- deemed publicly, you know, offensive um, because it's a kind of family show. But apart from that, everything gets a go. So if I was to, for example, create an image of a nude on a postcard, would that get exhibited as yep. long as it wasn't too explicit? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So talk to us about the range of works that are exhibited then because obviously we've got Michael as a photographer exhibiting works on paper, but I'm assuming you've got everything from kind of oils and watercolours to assemblages and more. We have sculptural works, we have photography, we have oil painting, we have... um, And every kind of form. So there'll be like, you know... um, a whole series of birds, there'll be a whole series of animals, there'll be faces, there'll be all sorts of things. So it's a really kind of, I guess, eclectic show. And I think one of the great things about the show and one of the things I love about it is how vocal people are when they come to see it. Sometimes my staff and I feel a little bit like we've, we have to become marriage counsellors or relationship <laughs> counsellors where some, you'll hear a conversation with like, that is not coming into our house. And then you'll hear someone else going, but I love this. I can't believe you don't love it. So, but that's a really great kind of conversation because people are so open to talking about art. It's a uh, a great idea that to encourage people to buy art and I'm imagining that many of the people who come to the postcard show might be buying an original artwork for the first time because it's a small work of scale so A it will fit in someone's home um, above a desk or perhaps or or, uh, on a bedside table wherever people choose to hang or place a work but also the scale would then tend to make them a little bit more affordable as opposed to going into one of the larger commercial galleries and looking at a work and going beautiful but what a shame I don't have $50,000 spare Indeed I think one of I I was looking at it yesterday so I think there are works from about $50 right up I think to about $5,000 and that really depends on the um, experience of the artist who's placing the work on show so there's something for everybody in a way. And uh, there's also something for the artists in entering as well because there are prizes to be won Uh, and uh, Michael I believe you were a prize winner a few years ago is that right? Yeah I won a postcard prize which isn't one of the major prizes it's one of the the postcard prizes where your work gets um, made as a postcard size print and then they were for sale in the in the um, gallery so yeah I won in twice and um, yeah that was very exciting. It must be kind of lovely to know that people are buying replicas of your work, taking it home, and perhaps even using them as postcards for the purpose mm. originally intended. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic because it's, um, yeah, so, yeah, I've, I've actually sent my postcard to nearly all my family, so uh, it's just to... <laughs> to make say, the ideal Christmas card. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. And there's something I love about postcards. It's some, whenever I go to a gallery, I almost always, I might go to the gallery shop and go, mm. oh, I'd love to buy that uh, a large print or the the, the hardcover version of the catalogue or whatever, mm. but often they just come away with four or five postcards, mm. and they then get blue tacked to my desk at home, so I can glance up from whatever I'm working on for a moment, and it's almost like a, instead of staring out the window, you're staring in through the window of these tiny little artworks at, for example, a St Kilda streetscape or the Mariner, the Marina or whatever the the world may be that you're transported to. There's something mm-hmm. quite delightful about mm-hmm. it. What are the other prizes on offer? So we have the. The first prize is $5,000 cash um, and we have an anonymous donor who supports that prize, which is fabulous. Good on you, anonymous donor. Indeed. 
Um, we have a prize from Eckersley's Art and Craft, and they are providing $1,000 worth of art products, so $500 worth of um, a voucher and $500 worth of product. Um, Alwood Community Bank supports the Artist Encouragement Award of, for $1,500, and Avant Card also supports an award as well, and they have... That will be the postcard award, and that's also um, $1,500. So there's over $10,000 worth of prizes. And then people can also vote for their... If they don't agree with the judges, which is always, you know, sometimes it can happen, um, they can vote for the People's Choice Award. And Art Guide Australia are providing um, a subscription to Art Guide this year and a free ad in um, their magazine. And the judges are not to be sneezed at either representatives of the La Trobe University Museum of Art, Castlemaine Art Museum and the Horsham Regional Gallery. So people who know their art and know what uh, what they're choosing when they judge works as well. So Linden New Art's 27th annual postcard show is kicking off on the 21st of October from 4pm till 8pm. So head down and make a make an evening or an afternoon of it um, and then running through until the 29th of January. So it's a, a good summer show to, uh, if you're, whether you're a local or you're popping down to St Kilda for a day or for an afternoon on the beach and a, and a snack, whatever it may be, then do pop into Linden New Art, located at 26 Ackland Street, St Kilda, on the hill. Uh, more info at lindenarts.org. And the postcard show, as we said, opening on the 21st of October from 4 until 8pm. Melinda and Michael, thank you both very much for joining us at Triple R. And Michael, good luck for... Uh, the, those prizes again this year. Thank you. Thank you. This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Our next production that we're going to discuss is a play about an Italian serial killer from the 1980s. The play is called Roberto Zucco, uh, written by Bernard Marie Coltes and translated by Martin Crimp and being staged by La Mama, uh, but at the Alliance Francaise in St Kilda. And as always, whenever I do an interview about La Mama, I always feel uh, compelled to do a quick disclaimer and uh, conflict of interest statement. I'm on the Committee of Management at La Mama. Um, it's a volunteer role. I don't benefit financially from my involvement promoting the show, etc., etc., etc. Joining us in the studio are director Alice Bishop and actor Ben Schumann. Welcome to you both. Hi, you Richard. So, Alice, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit more about the play. Well, I found this play maybe about five years ago in a compendium of work and I had never really heard of Coltes before and he's not really that well known in Australia. He's quite widely performed over in uh, Europe and America. But uh, So I picked up this little gem of a play and by the time I'd read the first page I thought, I really need to put this on. And the subject matter, as you've stated, is dark. It's based on the... Uh, an episode in Italian history with a, a serial killer that was at large for a while called Roberto Succo. And apparently the idea came for the play to Coltes when he was in the Paris metro and he saw a wanted poster in the metro. And this wanted poster had four different images of this man on it and they all looked entirely different. So we have this beautiful absurdist piece about the nature of identity and what makes a killer. Okay, I'm already intrigued. Ben, uh, who are you playing in the production? I am playing Roberto Zucco. Okay, which uh, 
I've spoken to a few actors over the years who've said that while it's uh, a challenge and often a delightful one to get their teeth into a, a kind of meaty, dark role, it can also be a haunting experience because you have to try and get into the, the mindset of the character that you're playing as well. Talk to us about what you've been... Have you been researching, learning? How are you coming to grips with playing this character? Yeah, certainly. You, you do have to kind of throw all sort of judgments to one side and try and get inside the head and, and kind of make sense of why someone would do such a thing but it's it's coming from a place of it's not absurd to them it's it's, it's normal and yeah I've, I've had a lot of fun in the last few weeks of trying you know do my own research and trying to find why and and what kind of makes him tick. So, yeah, it's interesting. Some people would say, why would you want to play a serial killer in the first place? Is it because the quality of the writing is so good? It's this kind of dark, satiric kind of work? A little bit, yeah. Why not? <laughs> why not have fun with it and and kind of go to that dark side and explore and obviously, you know, how unfathomable it is to kind of do these kind of things in real life it, it's it's very interesting that this it does go on and you know it kind of needs to be explored and, and yeah alice in terms of uh then directing and staging the production of the play you've as you said it's about a serial killer but it's also this so it's a psychological drama on one level but it's also this satirical work about identity talk to us about balancing those different tones in, in the work well that's been quite extraordinary for me and when i first read the play i thought this is going to be a little challenge just in exactly what you have elucidated there it is definitely a balance in pitch because at the heart of it, it is a comedy. And a serial killer sounds like a very strange <laughs> subject to write a comedy about. But you have to remember it's written by a Frenchman who was, uh, you know, he is called by many, Coltes is called by many, uh, you know, the, the heir to those beautiful post-war um, playwrights like Beckett and Genet and Cocteau who saw, who had a like a, quite an extraordinary world view who saw the absurdity of the world and, um, and asked more questions often than they probably answered. So working in the room I always choose works that I think my team are going to love because uh, with La Poulet Terrible my company, we have an established team. We've been working together for years and years. And so we do work we love and we play with words we love and this translation is amazing by Martin Crimp who we all know is, you know, famous in his own right as a playwright but he's also become just as famous for his quite extraordinary uh, translations of French plays and he is the most remarkable wordsmith and he has some such delightful cadences. I'm a student of French and I don't ever profess to be fluent, ever, ever, ever. Um, I struggle and mangle. But, <laughs> but yeah, I bet um, you're a damn more so fluent than I am. Oh, I don't know. I wouldn't bet on it. Sometimes words just escape me, and I can't think in English or trust French. Me, I, I can speak about three words in French, so trust me, you're more fluent than I am. Let's not do the rest of the interview in French. Please, <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> but yeah, the cadences of the work are quite extraordinary, and uh, you know, the French have a, they have such an almost nihilistic philosophic slant on the world especially in their contemporary playwriting and I know I'm generalising like a maniac um, 
So, yeah, balance is everything. We've had an extraordinary time playing with the comedy of this, the absurdity of this. It's, you know, just when we think, how can we escalate this more, we come up with another idea. So it's been a, a terrific uh, experience so far. We can't wait for audience to see it. So audiences will get the chance to see it from next week. Now, I've been reading some reviews of earlier productions. I remember a production back in 2007 of the play, and one of the, the, the comments about it was that it's, uh, it's a meditation not necessarily on the killer, but on the idea of the killer, what it means to be a killer, what it means to be human and have these traits in us. Uh, perhaps we all have these murderous traits to one degree or another. Would that be a fair assumption of kind of or fair description of the play itself? Do you think? I think so. Yeah, there's there's certainly a lot of. I mean, with with, with the comedy throughout, there's a lot of human elements to all the characters in in Roberto Zucco, especially Roberto himself. He he kind of has this struggle within of of why of why he's done what he's done and and and, and trying to find the answers for himself. So. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, you can go deeper into over the within the, under the surface of of what he's actually doing as to why he's doing it, and so there's there's a lot of uh, elements to that I think which are explored in this play. Would you say that it would that it is a meditation on the darkness within all of us to a degree? Look, there's this fabulous quote which I've whacked on the postcard, which is "Killers never do look like killers." killers go for quiet little strolls in the park like you and me and I put that on the postcard because that it just kind of essentially brings that horror to us and you know the play asks questions about collective responsibility for violence in the world that's another layer in it you can come and hear a story told or you can go away thinking about you know all sorts of other things if you want to largely um, we're in the business of entertainment that's the first thing we always like to hit and uh but you know it coltes there's very little critical work i think that exists on his writing but pretty much his characters i can't remember um i can't remember the academic study that i read now the writer of it but um but she seems to think that all his characters are rather meditative that are aggregations of people and types rather than very specific characters in themselves now something like that is absolutely no help at all when you're an actor playing it (laughs) 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 and ben spoke ben and i spoke about that very early on um we have to make our business is to make them human is to make them accessible is to find the empathy regardless of whether they're good or bad and present the lives of the characters and and hopefully do justice to some of these extraordinary ideas that Coltes had. The play we're talking about is Roberto Zucco and it's on at the Alliance Francaise in Grey Street, St Kilda from October the 26th through to November the 13th. Uh, ben, who are some of the other cast members that you're working with in the show? Sure. So, uh, so we have uh, Mick Cahill as well. Um, Which, I must admit, when I saw his name, I was going, hold on, what, the Herald Sun music writer? But no, <laughs> <laughs> different one, different cable. Okay. Um, so we have uh, Matthew Maloney as well, Elizabeth Thompson. Uh, we also have Amina Ashman. And have I forgotten anyone else? Oh, ooh, no, David Camberis as well. 
and Belinda Mrs. Uh, Mrs. I can never get her last name. Polish name Mijewski. Mijewski. Okay. Look, it's a, it's an extraordinary space we're working in, Richard, and it's the first time that La Mama have collaborated with the Alliance Française. So it's very much a La Mama show, but over the river. <laughs> and uh, <gasps> you I know. This outside? I know. It's terrifying. But, uh, and the Alliance Francaise is the most extraordinary venue. It's a ma- for those that don't know it, and most of you won't unless you're a Francophile, uh, it's Eildon Mansion, which is in Grey Street, St Kilda, and our performance space is the old kitchens underneath the mansion, which is this beautiful subterranean space with secret passages underneath and all sorts of things. Sound very evocative and very appropriate, given mm. that Roberto Zucco uh, imprisoned, escaped from one asylum... Mm put into another <laughs> kind of uh, crossing borders from Italy into France and, and much more. It, look, it's, it sounds like a really intriguing production. We hope it will be. Yeah. We're having fun. We'd love you to come. Roberto Zucco on at the Alliance Francaise, 51 Grey Street, St Kilda, from October the 26th to November the 13th. You can uh, book by calling 9347-6142. You can also jump online at lamama.com.au. Tickets are $30, $20 concession, and the preview on the 26th of October, just $20. So a uh, great opportunity to get along to see Roboto Zucco at Alliance Francais, 51 Grey Street, St Kilda. Alison Ben, thank you very much for joining us here at Triple R. Thank you. Thanks, Richard. This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. My penultimate guest for the morning has joined me in the studio. I love that word, penultimate. It's kind of a fun word. Uh, Gareth Hart, welcome to Triple R. Morning, Richard. Thank you so much for having me. My very great pleasure. Now, I'm kind of, it's cool to have you in because um, you're talking about a festival that I guess echoes some of the concerns that I, that I have about coming on the show and talking about art a lot. So much of it is like it's happening in the inner city, like CCP is in Fitzroy, so is Gertrude Contemporary, or theatre is in St Kilda or in the CBD. And mm. So mm. Melbourne is a big place. It's pretty large, yeah. And uh, the outskirts of Melbourne do include the Dandenong Ranges, yeah. which is uh, the beautiful mountain range when you look out to the east. If you happen to, I don't know, live on the 35th floor or above in the city, you probably see my home from there. Okay. Um, well, I will look more carefully <laughs> the, the next time I'm glancing uh, from, I don't know, the corner of Gertrude and Smith Street out and go, oh, there's a mountain yeah. over there. I keep forgetting about it. Yeah, yeah. So those hills is where the Hill Scene Live Festival takes place it does mm. which this year is focused in and around mount evelyn mm, mm, which is a curious little pocket of the dandenong ranges which really borders the dandenong ranges in the yarra valley it's this really uh, interesting uh, suburb and township that that does sort of tap into both those identities um and uh, as you did mention it's a particular focus of mine and the festivals is to bring sort of contemporary art practice particularly performance practice um and you know showcase that and support that and actually advocate for that outside that sort of 10 kilometer radius of the melbourne cbd um, which is very valid you know there's thousands and hundreds of thousands of people that engage in that world in this sort of inner city zone and that's really important but there's also you know with this sort of uh you know broadening of where people live and this inability to access housing close to the city there is this huge sort of resurgence of regional remote and outer sort of suburban uh community uh, art centers and you know contemporary practice going on so hillsdale life definitely taps into that sort of um, ideology quite strongly and i really like the idea of uh, the fact that it's taking almost taking place in a liminal space a liminal zone it's not quite the city and mm. it's not quite outside the city either it's yeah. that urban fringe which mm. tends to in many ways get overlooked or forgotten i think particularly by art 
makers and mm. arts bodies who might go, oh, we need to support art in the regions and remote yep. communities. Yep. And um, But then that, that kind of liminal space, mm. that band at the edge of the city, you know, it tends to be, because it's such a grey zone, literally in some <laughs> ways, because it is not quite one thing, not quite the other, mm. the other. Do you think it gets overlooked? I think it does, yeah, unfortunately. Um, I think there's... Uh, I think what, you know, I live in that sort of zone. Uh, I live literally 10 metres from being classified as regional Victoria um, by Regional Arts Victoria standards. Um, so I technically live in what they call metropolitan Melbourne. I live two kilometres down a dirt road on tank water with no phone reception. Uh, you know, there, you can't get ADSL at my house. But I'm considered metropolitan Melbourne, which is really interesting. Um, I'm 35 minutes from a train station, which is then an hour and 10 minutes to Flinders Street. So that's metropolitan Melbourne. So it, it like you said before, it's a massive kind of geographical boundary. And I think there are, for those of us who live in that, like is that liminal space or that, you know, we fall outside those easily categorizable inner city or suburban or regional or remote communities, we have a sort of responsibility to almost in a way take charge of our own sort of creative practice and the the uh, platforms and the presentation opportunities that we can forge ourselves in those sort of communities. Consequently, a festival like Hill Scene Live, mm. which began, uh, I believe, initially kind of like multiple little festivals in 2014, like um, autumnal and winter and, yeah, and so mate. forth, seasonal events, mm. and since then has become annual in 2015 and now again in 2016. Mm. Yeah, 2014 was definitely what I call my stupid year, <laughs> which was an attempt to run three festivals, uh, you know, three quarterly festivals, uh, which tapped into the seasons, which uh, worked really well um, in some ways. They were much more condensed events they were sort of a one night event that may sort of kick off around four o'clock and you know program late into the evening and finish with a big hullabaloo and a band and you know whatnot uh, and then after those three, um, obviously I was experiencing a small amount of burnout. <laughs> so Funny that. Oh, I don't know how that happened. Um, uh, so then I went to an annual event and last year uh, was quite a quite a, an epic one-day event featuring about 15 works across the day uh, in another sort of township of the Dandenong Ranges. And this year we've expanded again um, because, you know, I can't ever do the same thing twice. So we've expanded so this year three days. So the three 28th, days the 29th and the 30th of October. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And in, as I said, in venues in and around Mount Evelyn. So you've got mm. um, perf- live performances, mm-hmm. art critical conversations, workshops, and I love the fact that there's a social element as well. So presumably all the artists living out in that area who may feel a little bit isolated and disconnected from their sector and their colleagues and their community, you're throwing a dinner to bring everyone together. Yeah, just you know, a small dinner, free dinner, 100 people, fully catered, um, You know, keynote speech from Kamari Middleton from Mayabuya, which is a social enterprise that she runs um, using performing arts to um, help people who may be um, at risk in certain communities um, and uh, a DJ and what is that? a visual art installation happening that night looking at um, new migrant communities and some work that's going on out in the Dandenong Ranges um, working with new migrant communities so yeah just a small thing to you know tap on the end of a festival but um, it's going to be, yeah it is really important that that sense of social that social time that investment in that kind of more uh, connection based um, experience at festivals I think particularly when you look at the, we were talking a lot about the geography of the festival and, and where it sits in that sort of um, community uh, in the Dandenong Ranges that it really is a sort of condensed period of programming. It's not like the Melbourne Festival or Fringe or something where you will see a show, you might have three days off and you go back and see another show. We're cramming everything into one really, really short, compact amount of time, which is, you know, two and a half days. Um, so the sense of being able to connect and share experience about 
about what you're experiencing at the festival, the works you're seeing and the ideas that you're being challenged through and some of the you know, progressive things that you might be seeing, it's really important to craft t- uh, time into the program that allows that kind of connection and conversation to emerge between the, um, the audience that are gathering for the festival. So, If you've just tuned in, we're chatting about the 2016 Hill Scene Live Festival, which is happening from Friday the 28th to Sunday the 30th of October. Um, the theme for the festival this year is mapping intimacy. Gareth, tell us what that means exactly mm. and tell us about some of the artists and artworks that you've programmed. Sure. Uh, just to rewind a little bit, mapping immediacy. Immediacy, I'm mm. sorry. Uh, maybe the next festival will be mapping intimacy. That will be a very different festival. <laughs> uh, yeah, mapping immediacy was something that um, uh, that the, the, the team who run the festival came up with uh, one of the one of the women on the uh, leadership committee is a poet, and she's very very good at uh, at wordsmithing. Uh, so we spent a kind of day, um, you know, f- fleshing out some ideas about words and looking at and bylines for the festival and therefore themes for the festival. And mapping immediacy was what we came up with, which is sort of a metaphor, I guess, for live art practice. You know, for for performance and, and live art that, unlike uh, two dimensional or three dimensional forms performing arts and live art really tap into that sense of immediacy and it really is about that kind of exchange in the moment and the set and we asked artists this year to really interrogate through their own practice or the works they were uh, pitching for the festival why their work needed to be seen now and what their relationship with immediacy was um, and we had a range of responses to that. Some people, uh, you know, really interrogating improvisation and looking at the immediacy of improvisation and some people deconstructing the audience and performer kind of setup. and, you know, some of these questions that have been going on for quite a while in performance practice, excuse me, um, and really interrogating those. And we find it, it's a, a really beautiful, wide but also focused, uh, you know, attention for the festival to look at the idea of immediacy. And in, then across the range of events that are happening, so we've got mm. installations, we've got workshops, we've got performances, one that immediately catches my eye, uh, stories of Singaporean horror. <laughs> so, A, I like ghost stories and, and, and ghosts uh-huh. and ghoulies and long-legged beasties and things that go mm-hmm. bump in the night and the fact that it's telling stories from one of our near-geographic neighbours. Yeah. Um, there's been an ongoing issue in the the art sector around the lack of cultural diversity, mm. uh, not just in audiences and actors, but in the kinds of stories we're hearing. Yeah. So to have Singaporean horror stories on <laughs> stuff, as a performance, bang, ticks a lot of boxes for me straight away. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, Shannon and his, him, Shannon Lim and his crew who uh, form Normal Children, which is their sort of collective, they perform and uh, just presented that work at Melbourne Fringe. So those some of your audiences may have seen that there, or may have missed out on it with the show. Yeah. It is indeed, um, and it's, it's a it's a really exciting um, trio of work um, that's coming out that and really taps into you know some sort of deeper ideas of cultural identity and whatnot, but also actually is quite funny and humorous and engaging at the same time, which is such a beautiful combination. You know, to really be, have that kind of depth and integrity in the work, but also be so super accessible because of the sort of uh, the energy of the work is really exciting. Some other work that really taps into the idea of immediacy. Um, there are quite. Well, I mean, every work really does and there's an incredible amount of work we have I think 25 events over the three days of the festival which is very exciting um, Rachel Jones is presenting a 24 hour performance uh, so she will begin at 4pm Friday right before our VIP launch and perform for 24 continuous hours in the venue until 4pm Saturday 
and then stepped straight into a panel about how that experience made her vulnerable over the time. So, you know, because a 24-hour performance is not enough. We have to do something else on top of that. Um, there's a young artist called Jeremy Swan who's made a kinetic sculpture uh, which sits inside a satellite venue outside the Festival Hub, uh, which really interrogates... Uh, it's one person at a time that engage with this kinetic sculpture and really interrogates our sense of time and the kind of progression of time um, through this uh, moving kinetic sculpture. Uh, there's another work which is uh, actually inside the Callista Forest. So there's one, one work that happens quite far away outside of Mount Evelyn by Matt Riley and Troy Innocent, which is an augmented reality piece that looks at how we digitise our experience of natural spaces. So again, working in that liminal space between two ideas, um, which is really exciting. Um, and a whole bunch of uh, other works I won't keep harping on about. I won't just recite the whole program to you. <laughs> well, because then there'd be nothing left for people to discover for exactly. themselves. Exactly. If you want to know more about the 2016 Hill Scene Live Festival, uh, it's running from the 28th of October to the 30th of October um, in and around Mount Evelyn and its surrounds. Uh, the festival theme, Mapping Immediacy. You can go to www.hillscenelive.com for more information where you can uh, download a PDF of the festival program and have it all at your fingertips. Indeed. So get on that. So uh, www.hillscenelive.com. We've been talking to the festival director, Gareth Hart. Thanks for coming in, Matt. Thanks, Rachel. Great to see you again. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.